in the best of times, it is challenging to live out gospel values in our families and communities. But with the isolation and stress we're experiencing these days, we're having to be more attuned to God's grace than ever before. Today's guest homeschool veteran, Mary Ellen Barrett, is here to explore love in a time of quarantine. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host. Today we're talking with Mary Ellen Barrett about love in a time of quarantine. Mary Ellen Barrett is a mother of eight children and wife to David. She is a lifelong New Yorker and an active member of her parish of Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Lindenhurst, New York. Mrs. Barrett is a columnist for the Long Island Catholic, editor of Seton Magazine, and she chronicles the journey of living a faithful but imperfect Catholic family life on her weblog, Tales from the Bonnie Blue House. And that's in our show notes. It's at maryellenbarrett.com. And she's had her work published in Faith and Family Magazine, CatholicMom.com, Catholic News Service, Catholic Digest. She was formerly a frequent contributor to CatholicExchange.com. Mary Ellen has guest blogged on Faith and Family Live, CatholicVote.org, and Catholic Cuisine. She has blogged about the occult and the New Age at AmazingCatechists.com. She's been a guest on Relevant Radio, Radio Maria, several podcasts, and EWTN's Sunday Night Live. Currently, Mrs. Barrett is a marketing consultant and magazine editor for Seton Home Study School. Mary Ellen speaks and writes on issues pertaining to homeschooling, Catholic family life, marriage, bereavement, and special needs issues. Mary Ellen, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's always, it's always such a joy for me because we've known each other for a while and, and you've been on Homeschool Connections podcast and webinars and, and I'm even going to, including in the show notes, your two previous podcast interviews for this show, which was, you did our very first episode ever, which was Busting Myths About Homeschoolers. It was so much fun. That's number one. And number 30, which was for Valentine's Day last year, was Keeping Your Husband Happy, Easy Tips. Just, a, just such a fun conversation. I love, uh, I love the fun that you have with kind of wrapping up wisdom that's very easy and practical. Oh, thank you. That's so nice to hear. Thank you. I enjoy talking to you. You know that. And, and I'm a gabber. I could just talk and <laughs> talk and talk. <laughs> yeah, it's one of our gifts as women. Yep, we, we do love to talk. Why don't we start from a place of just exploring what do we mean by love? Oh, wow. And um, well, what we mean by love, I guess, is for me, anyway, is in difficult times, which the quarantine, I think, has been difficult on just about everybody in many, many different ways. But um, being open to God's love and care for us and then kind of reflecting that back into our difficult circumstances, whether it be um, fear or, or illness or just too many people together in a house for way too long so trying to receive um, what, what God intends for us, all the love that he gives us and all the care, um, and, and trying to reflect that back into our everyday lives. So that's what I've tried to do and be open to. <laughs> Whether or not I'm always successful is you should interview my husband and children about. 
You said something really important about us kind of stopping to reflect about how God loves us. And then in that act of mirroring God, because we're made in his image, of reflecting that back to other people. We have to kind of think of it that way, particularly in, in difficult times. It's very easy to think, well, of course, I have to love my family and I have to try really hard to be good to people. But as, as Christians, we're called upon to always be thinking about how God loves us and how we can, um, I, I want to say, be worthy of that love, but also emulate that love to everybody. So, and that's really kind of hard because his love is so great and so extraordinary. And ours is so small in comparison, I guess. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize how we love, but we're so concerned with earthly concerns, I guess. And things like, you know, taking the trash out and, and taking care of the, the large obnoxious dog and <laughs> arguing. And like, we have all these temporal concerns that kind of weigh us down and bog us down. And it's hard to love when the toddler has gotten you out of the chair for the 15th time when all you just want to do is sit down and drink your cup of coffee for five minutes or things like that. You know, somebody's always pounding on the bathroom door or, you know, you just, you get so frustrated. And and in these days when we're together so much, it's so easy to get snappy or to, to show less love. It's not that you don't love your children or your husband, but to, to get cranky about it. And that's where we need to really stop and think, well, you know, God wouldn't be cranky with us. He should be. And he's not, (laughs) he's, you know, continuously showing love and mercy and all this stuff. And while we can't actually achieve that, but we can try to aspire to be reflective of that. And it's hard. It's really, really hard. And and it's particularly hard for people like me who are a little bit short tempered um, and cranky as a personality. (laughs) I have that kind of Irish thing going on. I'm always like, what do you want? What do you want? <laughs> they're used to me now and they're older, so they don't bug me as much. But you know what I mean? It's it's really hard to be patient and, and just loving all the time. But we are called to be. And I feel like I'm at the time of my life where everybody's an adult in the house now. I don't really have to practice patience the way, the way I used to. It's more for me big issues now, like how am I going to be patient with a change in society or a, or a, you know, or a, a phase that my young adult is going through, but I certainly don't have to worry about getting her a glass of water anymore. Right. <laughs> I know. And so, so many of the moms who listen to this podcast, they're, they're in those very physical care years. You know, they're, they're trying to homeschool, but they have a toddler or you know, I, in my case, it was um, my boys. Every time I would turn around, I'd, I'd go and throw a load of laundry and I'd come back and everybody was gone. You know, <laughs> I left them all sitting quietly there doing their math. And I'm like, all right, I'll be gone for three minutes. And I come back and they're outside. They have no shoes on. They're in the pool, whatever. <laughs> this happened to me, you know. <laughs> so you have to be patient and realize, you know, they're, they're small children. And this is what small children do sometimes. And then we have like the big societal concerns, like right now, as of this recording, we're in the midst of this election and and showing love to neighbor and loving your enemy and all that kind of stuff. That's really hard to do in these turbulent times. Who knows when this is aired, what kind of, uh, you know, world we're going to be living in in, in a few months. So very stressful. Yeah, it, it can be extremely hard just to even 
tell your body not to overreact to stress. Like, uh, you know, we can really, even if we're practicing patience and saying, Jesus, I trust in you, whatever's going on in our home or in the world or whatever it is, it can, it can seep in there and get to us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, stress does kind of lower your immune responses, which is something to think about when there's a, a pandemic on. You know, you really kind of want to have the best immune system you possibly can. And that means taking good care of yourself and, and taking care of your stress factors. And for some people, it's that fear of getting sick. And for other people, it's that fear that this will never end and we're never going to be able to go to a movie or, a, or you know, a restaurant or ever, anything ever again. And we have to kind of manage that. And it's really hard to do, I think. It is for me. Yeah. And it just occurred to me when you were talking about immune system is that when we cuddle each other, when we pet the dog, science tells us that we, we release oxytocin, which is, it's a bonding hormone, but it also reduces our stress levels. Yes, <laughs> so. it's true. Isn't one of the best times in your life when you're snuggling around with your kids, reading books to them, oh, you know, yeah. and you're all cuddled up together and there's just that peace in the household. And that's one of, I mean, I guess that's probably a benefit of this quarantine and this maybe staying home so much more is that we have been able to find that time in this ultra busy society that we can, you know, get to know each other better, get to know each other in a different way. And to have that kind of snuggle, cozy time with our with our loved ones. Um, I've really enjoyed that. We have managed to have dinner just about every night, all nine of us together since this all started. How is it starting to be where, you know, like Boy Scouts has started up again and karate. And so, so there are one or two nights where we're not all together, but I mean, we went months eating dinner together every night. We've never been able to do that. Wow. Yeah. See, there's one of those shifts that's happened that I feel like doesn't end run around this diabolical kind of spiritual suppression that's been happening of our ability to be in the world and all of that, like you suddenly discover this time with your family. And again, that tactile thing of enjoying the fragrant, delicious food together, even of cooking together, all those physical, you know, moments of being connected with each other. How, uh, talk a little bit more about how life has changed for you and your family during the quarantine. It's been a little bit crazy because when it first shut down, my dad had just come to, to well, I want to say live with us, but he actually came to us to, to end his life. He was um, diagnosed with uh, lung cancer right after Christmas. And then, so he came in to stay with me. There was hospice and then there was home hospice. And so that he passed away very early in the quarantine. It was um, March 28th. So we couldn't have a funeral or anything. And it's such an odd thing to you know, to have to have loved this man and to want so badly to honor him, but not be able to do any of the things, especially, you know, with an Irish family, we couldn't have a wake, we couldn't have a, a reception or any of those things that are so traditional. So that was really odd. You know, we went to this graveside service and then we just went home and we're all just sitting here looking at each other. So, oh, all right, well, we may as well go back to work and stuff because everybody was home. And then um, when, when my oldest daughter uh, finally went back to work, I think it was in July or August, she she went part time and then started back full time in the office. I think it was late September, early October. So she hasn't been back full time in the office for a while. But then Dave, my husband, started going in twice a week. But we've been, we've had so much togetherness here, and with nine people, what's changed is that I've discovered like 
with the seven kids, some of them are pairing up and becoming buddies that weren't so much before, like they had never really connected much because of age differences and different interests and stuff, but they, they were thrown together so much and, and there were, you know, board games and puzzles and video games and movie marathons or series marathons. They get very into Avatar and science fiction stuff that I just can't stand, but they enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> they forced me to watch a bunch of it. And but it was so nice to see that kind of sibling bonding thing going on. And they were there was impromptu uh like DoorDash, you know, God forbid that DoorDash didn't show up here once a day. <laughs> and they would they would eat junk food and watch movies and stuff. And I just loved seeing that we had the time for that because as moms, we are, we're always trying to grab time with our kids and our families and create family time. And it's been so hard in the past, especially in the spring and summer, when they're also into their activities and their plays and their recitals and their concerts and there's camps and, um, you know, this one's visiting colleges and this one's going away. And so as they've gotten older, it's been really, really hard to do anything as a family. We have to schedule a movie night like a month in advance. But we had a billion of them. You know, we had six months or so worth of them. And, and it's still kind of going on. I mean, they, they still are, eight, my oldest gets home from work by six. So if we eat dinner at 630, they're all, you know, playing together and doing things together. And I just have loved that. So that has been a huge change in the dynamic of our family. And then the other thing is that we, we are together an awful lot. And we've had to work around being a little bit more courteous about things like the internet <laughs> and computers and, and the, the, the office space and, and, you know, who's working where and who's vacuuming while somebody's working. And it's always me vacuuming while somebody's <laughs> working. <laughs> things like, like I've had to think more about, you know, what other people are doing in the house and, and stuff like that. So that's been kind of a challenge. Just to recap a little bit, without having any idea until the last minute that your dad was so ill and then suddenly quarantine you you had this combination and then it continued into family life of being more together you had a lot of time with your dad that was unexpected even though it was undoubtedly you know painful and and I'd, I'd love to, for you to say just a couple more words about that like how, what the impact on the family was of being so together during that, but also just noticing, I loved that your kids started pairing up and that so many at-home activities were, were bringing everybody together. What God is so great. He just brings so much good out of, of what can be very hard. God really blessed me as a daughter. And if, if my dad had to be ill, that it was at this time because my father was a very independent strong-willed person and he was always incredibly healthy i mean he would walk three miles a day he went to the gym he he traveled all over europe by himself he was a, just a very independent person and it was a couple days after christmas he was actually it was the day he was supposed to leave to go home to georgia he had a house in georgia and he was unable to breathe so we took him to the emergency room and one thing led to another and it was diagnosed with he had very very advanced lung cancer, no symptoms whatsoever. And thank God to the day he died, never had a bit of pain. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. So he, his first plan was to get some chemotherapy and get himself stable. And he wanted nothing more in the world than to go back to his little house in Georgia and his life there. And he didn't want to bother me. And he didn't want to, you know, he, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I just kind of yesed him to death. And then as this is all going on, there's this weird flu going around and there's this weird virus and, you know, and then it, it starts to be a real kind of situation in February when we food shortages and, you know, toilet paper shortages and things like that. So, and then he started to, um, to not, not be right in his head. It was starting to go into his brain a little bit, but he was, he knew it and he was so funny and so into being, he, he just made his peace with the fact that he was not going to go home to Georgia, that he was going to have to be in my home. And he just decided to enjoy his grandchildren for the time that he had left. So he was fun and he would do th- like, again, like the door dash, he'd be like, um, he, he would get one of the kids who has it on their phone. He would say, I want a hamburger. Can you get me a hamburger on that door thing? Like, all, right. all right, Pop, I'll get you a hamburger. All right, get yourself something. Get your brothers and sisters. Get your brothers and sisters. Let's all get some. Don't tell your mother. <laughs> like, this can, now, I didn't care if he had a hamburger. He could have whatever he wanted, but he was he was just ordering all the time from them. And then he would he would get them together, and he would um, watch Jeopardy every night, and he would have them doing quizzes with Jeopardy. And my brother's children, when they could, they were in Connecticut, and um, a bunch of them work in healthcare, so they couldn't all come to him, but. When they could come, he would he would just have so much fun with them, and we'd pull out the um, the albums, and he would tell me who all the people in the albums who I didn't know were, and we just had a lot of fun with him, and it was such a blessing that he could, because when it came time, um, he just couldn't have gone home either because of his health or because um, there was no planes, there was no trains, there was no way to get him home, you know, well everything was shut down, so I was really very blessed that we had this kind of quiet world and nothing pulling us away from what God was calling us to do, which was to be with him right there at the end. And he was surrounded by everybody he loved right up until the end. So that that's a gift that I, you know, you just can't, you don't even know to ask for something that amazing. And I, I'm very, but it was just he and I, my mom and my, my brother have already passed away. So it was a gift to have that time with him. My goodness. It's so extraordinary. Like you said, you wouldn't have even known to ask for it. And here was this miraculous time of togetherness. And he wasn't in any pain. That's incredible. It is. It really, he didn't suffer one minute, like right up until he had a bacon, egg and cheese sandwich the morning he died. (laughs) He he sent one of the kids to the deli around the corner. (laughs) It's a Long Island thing to do. (laughs) Right? So Long Island. (laughs) But yeah, he he just went very peacefully. There was nothing, no suffering. So, I mean, talk about a happy happy death. You know, all those rosaries he prayed paid off. (laughs) The Blessed Mother really took care of him at the end. I'm so grateful for that. So. Yeah, I feel like the more people I talk to, especially in the homeschooling community and and among and people that I haven't talked to myself, but I've heard about through the the wonderful folks at Homeschool Connections, they're having a lot of conversations with people who, because of quarantine, first had to homeschool, discovered a lot of love happening at home and their children thriving in new ways and made a choice to commit to homeschooling. And, and you know, some are doing it temporarily, some are really in it for the long run. 
And to hear just how many blessings there are in that, that God is showing us things, opening up avenues of love, while it seems like everything else on the surface societally had really closed down. That whole lockdown thing was just so shocking. And yet God was, God was still completely present and, like you said, doing those miracles. Right. Every single day, I think probably there were miracles around all these small but but very powerful things happening in families. And, and that might even mean just, you know, recognizing how much you love one another or how much you've missed one another when society and busyness pulls you apart. I think sometimes those are the kind of little miracles that happen every day that we don't really recognize, you know, like that those connections. It's miraculous that we, we, we come together and love each other so much and that we find these connections. I mean, God provides all these paths and we just have to look at it. I mean, this has been such a nightmare in so many ways for so many people, this loss of, of people and loss of income and law and just fear. But we can see all of these little, little miracles that can sustain us if we're just aware and open to that kind of love. I, it, and it's hard. It really is hard, but you have to really open your eyes to it and find the good because God puts good everywhere. He does. He loves us and he does. Just got to look for it. Yeah. And there's so much in scripture about the desert times and the and the times of suffering that come before the dawn, you know, like the the crucifixion comes before the resurrection, that sort of thing, and that we live over and over again. And and like you said, it's something that you have to look for. There's always hope, right? Hope for that this is going to end and somehow we're going to be better. A hope that whatever the election turns out to be, it's going to be for our good, for the good of our country and for the good of the world. There's just always got to be hope. I mean, you know, Lisa, that uh, over the last several years, I've suffered a lot of loss in, in my life. And I just could not get up in the morning if I didn't have hope that there was salvation, that there was, there was somehow God working on us through this suffering and, and making, it, making it work toward our salvation and, and kind of honing the sharp edges off me so that I'm more worthy of becoming what he, he wants me to be. That's, I think, what suffering calls us to do. It's to, to kind of strip down and, and just say, all right, I need you. You're in charge of this. I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> you know? Right. And in our very polarized culture, and it's so full of comparisons with social media and everything, it can really pit us against each other. And so that ability to recognize that suffering is used by God for our good, but then also to step into that place now you're very spiritually mature, and I know you're probably going to laugh at that because you're, very, you're, you're fun that way, but it takes spiritual maturity to say, even though I don't like the suffering while I'm suffering, and I may carry suffering around with me every day of my life that I'd rather I didn't have, I'd rather things be different, yet I sense the presence of God loving me in that place of darkness. And for those who don't understand it, the, the way to get to that place or a way to get to that place is are the sacraments, especially reconciliation and letting go of resentment, setting other people free through that gradual process of asking God for the grace to, to really forgive and to, and to set aside blame and to be in that place of being open to God, drawing out that richness of learning. What helps you and your family to confront a challenge together and, and make that withdrawal from the grace bank? 
Well, like you said, the sacraments really, for me, years and years and years ago, years ago, I think before I had kids, I read somewhere that um, St. John Paul II went to confession every week. And that just struck me as like incredible, you know, because he was such a saintly and holy man. And I thought, well, if he goes every week, I should set up a cot and just live in there. (laughs) The minute I walk out, things just deteriorate immediately. (laughs) So it's always been important to me. And, And talk about a gift of love, the sacraments are for God, especially reconciliation, where we can just release those burdens that weigh us down. And sometimes you don't even know how much you're weighing it down until you come out and you're like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. So we, we, we do that. We do a lot of it as a family. And I have to say one of the, I mean, it was nice and it wasn't nice when, when we couldn't go to mass for so long, you know, as you know, here in New York, I think it was late June before we could go to church again. Maybe July, I don't know. The months have all run together. Nobody knows what day it is even anymore. (laughs) When we couldn't go to mass, we did watch it. We have um, a smart TV in the living room. That's just, you know, like we just do streaming things on it. And so we were able to watch mass on the smart TV together in, in our living room, which, you know, of course was, was difficult because we wanted the Eucharist, but it was nice because we were all together and that doesn't ever happen because we're, but we're also involved in our parish ministries that we end up sometimes at four different masses during, during, you know, the regular world. So that was so uplifting to be able to pray together right there. That was kind of amazing to me that we got so much out of it in spite of not being in church and in spite of not being um, present with the Eucharist. And, and that spiritual suffering, I think, helps arm you a little bit because you know now what it is to be deprived of something and you know what a gift it is. So we're just so compelled to go to Mass whenever we can because we know that, you know, it can go away. Well, I mean, whoever thought that would happen in, in a million years, that we would be deprived of church. And now now we know that can happen. You know, Governor Cuomo can just write something down and suddenly nobody can go to church anymore. And it's just crazy. So I think the sacraments are how we arm and, and just talking a lot together and talking about how things affect us and and. You know, like you, we were laughing before that I'm a gabber, but I think there are four daughters here. <laughs> I have three very quiet sons, and I think that's just because they can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> they might actually be talkers, but who knows? <laughs> but we we are talkers, and the, and my daughters in particular, three of them are real, really talkers, and always wanting to share their feelings. You know, and then I have one daughter who who's quieter and would rather never talk about her feelings. (laughs) 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 But we do, we have a lot of discussions around the, uh, around the dining room table these days. It's so beautiful to listen to everything that's just pouring out of you, the conversations, the togetherness. But I also want to reflect back to what you said about that spiritual suffering and deprivation. In the midst of that, God brought you together and gave you that joy of praying together. But It's interesting because I was noticing as I was watching my live streamed mass every morning for months that I felt God sustaining me. I I knew a lot of people who were really suffering, and I even questioned whether or not, gee, Lord, I really thought I believed in the real presence. How come now that I'm so separated from you physically, I still feel so sustained? And other people I thought who were experiencing more of that sense of hunger and deprivation of the Eucharist, I just assumed that it was because 
they believed more deeply than I did. But, some, but God did something really interesting with me. He drew me into a deeper contemplation of the reality of his presence in the Eucharist. And, and then when I first went back to my first Mass, blew me away with his, a sense of his presence and his power and his love for me just radiating from the tabernacle. So I don't know why I was spared the suffering part, but, but it all came full circle. Just all of that to say that my suffering was doubting myself and my own faith, whereas other people were just longing and hungering for the Eucharist and then having that beautiful coming home again. Oh, isn't that amazing? What a great, I did, I cried the first time I went to Mass. And when I received the Eucharist, it like, like you said, it was just such an overwhelming loving moment for me like oh you're home you're back you know welcome Mm -hmm. my child it was it was really like when your children run into your arms and they hug you and you love that it felt like that to me it was that warm it was that familiar and, and so extraordinary it really was yeah, and I'm someone who resents masks, but at my first mask, I blubbered the whole mask, <laughs> and so I was really happy to have it to hide behind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's so true. They do hide a multitude. I haven't, I haven't bought lipstick in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right? Why bother? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so what would you like to leave us with, Mary Ellen? You've, said, you've shared so much practical wisdom and just really simple, but such powerful insights about all this. What would you like to leave us with? Thank you. I, I, I guess if there was one thing I'd like to leave um, you all with a thought is that just be open to God's love for you. And if you are sure, really deep in your heart, without a doubt that he loves you, you will, you will become a reflection of that love. And don't forget to pray. I mean, it's so easy when you're a busy mom and you're homeschooling and there's a million things to do and you got to get dinner on the table and there's always laundry and, and errands to run. Just make time for it. It's, it's more than self-care. It's soul care. And it is so, so, so important. So even if you just get a decade of the rosary in, or you read a little bit of scripture, or if you have your favorite prayer group, or if you just sit quietly and just say, Jesus, Jesus, just, you know, contemplatively and just being open five minutes, you know, every day. And as they get older, it does get a little bit easier and you do, do get more quiet time, but just find those little pockets of time to just pray. And really the, the love will come. And, and the, I have found, you know, speaking as a, as a cranky person, that you are much <laughs> less inclined to be snappish or, or annoyed. It's not even that you don't respond in an annoyed way. It's that you're not as annoyed or you're not as, as quick-tempered. You're just a little bit more of a loving person. The more you pray and the more you, you reflect that love and the more you're just open to God's love for you. So just you're worthy of it. You're worthy of the time alone with him. You're worthy of everything he has to give you. So just be open to it and, and think about it and pray about it and just just love. That's, that's it. That's the message. Just love. Amen and amen. Mary Ellen, thank you so much. I always just enjoy this even more than I expect to, but I always look forward to these conversations. Thank you so much for making the time in the midst of a very busy day. Oh, you're very welcome. I love being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my joy. And everybody, don't forget in the show notes, you can find Mary Ellen at maryellenbarrett.com. And it's Mary Ellen spelled the usual way, B-A-R-R-E-T-T.com. 
And both episode links are there, her first and the 30th, busting myths about homeschoolers and keeping your husband happy, easy tips. Those are such fun conversations. Can't thank you enough, Mary Ellen. And everybody, please stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi, this is Dan Lozonis from EinsteinBlueprint.com. Today, I want to give all you homeschooling families a very simple but powerful entrepreneurial exercise to do with or to assign to your kids. This week, I want you to send them strolling down Main Street in your town or neighborhood and in notebook in hand. I want them to jot down the names of all the businesses and enterprises they come across. Okay, maybe not all the businesses if you live in Manhattan or some large metropolitan area, they can capture the names of maybe 20 or 30 more businesses. They can just bite off a small section of town or whatever. The main point of this exercise is simply to introduce your kids to the real economic world they live in. After all, they've traveled past some of these places many, many times before without even noticing they exist. I guarantee you that this little project, this town inventory, will spark a lot of curiosity and questioning. Oh, really? Some people don't have their own washing machines and dryers, and they take their clothes to a laundromat? That's right, your mother and I used to do that when we lived in Brooklyn, too. Hey dad, what exactly is a global financial advisor? Oh, they help very wealthy people save and spend their money. Did you know your uncle Ray is a very successful financial advisor? Let's call him up. Mom, what is a pawn shop? What is a mortgage broker? What is a nonprofit? I could tell you, but I'd rather you look them up in the dictionary. I mean, look them up on Google. From those sparks, even more natural questions will start kindling. Who owns that business? How do they make money? Is it profitable? How much rent do they have to pay? How many employees do they have? Is this business part of a bigger national chain? How do they make money if the parking lot is always empty? You know, Tony Robbins has famously said that the quality of our questions determines the quality of our lives. So any book, any method, any experience, or any project like this that fires up our kids' interrogative muscles will be profoundly educational. Furthermore, it's critically important that our kids enter the workforce with as broad of an exposure as possible. This way, they'll be more likely to carve out a career or two that is conducive to their skill set. They'll be more successful like Uncle Ray, and be happier and have more time and money that they can devote to God and their family. Not only do I want my kids to have a very wide exposure to the myriad ways people earn a living, I also want them to start this journey as soon as possible. The Main Street Stroll is very easy to do and it checks all these boxes. It can also very easily be expanded to other locales and taken to deeper levels. If you want your kids to avoid a lifetime of debt and never have to work for a soulless, godless corporation, and if you want more entrepreneurial projects like the Main Street Stroll, then visit my 16-year-old homeschool son's website, kidsgetrich.com. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.